0: Behavioral change for societal norms is only a short-term solution, right? If we can, can't change a person's heart to make a long-term change, then there's not, you, we're not going to continue seeing bad behavior cropping up again, cropping up again, cropping up again. God is after transformational change in us from here inside out. You know, if he can change our thinking, if he can change our heart, he can change the way that we view the world and view our behavior in the world and the way we view him, then he can get the behavior he wants, the righteous behavior that he is working in us to accomplish. And it doesn't come from just following a set of rules. I mean, we've talked about the Old Testament, the law, 600-something laws that God put in place for the children of Israel. That did not accomplish righteous living. They looked at those laws, and I can't can't do that one. I've already broken that one. I can't do that one. How how then can I please God? And it becomes a lifestyle of trying to follow the little laws instead of looking for real, real righteous living. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) As the Holy Spirit moves into our hearts and changes us, then real change takes place. And we talked about about three weeks, we had two weeks, we talked about the grace of God and how God's grace moves into us and impacts us and changes us. How God gives us His love, He gives us His righteousness, He gives us Himself, and that helps us to have that change. And last week we began talking about learning who we are in Christ, and how learning about our identity, and how that is really, when we learn about Christ's identity and how we find our identity in Christ, it's no longer about who I am, my position, it's no longer about who I am and my status, it's no longer about who I am and what I'm trying to be, but we look at ourselves as Christ, as God sees us in Christ, that's where transformational change takes place. We looked at how If we want to identify who Christ was, how Christ was in the image of the invisible God, right? He was the image of who God is. He is the creator. He is the glue that holds all creation together. All that we have here today, if God was not holding it together with his hands, it would just fly apart. The atoms and the molecules would just dissipate into space and space be gone and go back to what it was before God ever created it. He is the clue for understanding this world and creation and our place in it. He's the head of the church. It's not me as the pastor. It's not some board of directors or leadership committee. God is the head of the church, every single church. He is the head of all, and we come here to worship Him. He is the one who defeats death. He's the one who reconciles creation, and we are part of that creation. He reconciles us to Himself because He loves us, and He is the one who is fully God. That is who Christ is. That is His identity. We understand that. We understand our place in that. We understand our place in this world in fulfilling and seeing who we are in Christ is part of explaining that to the world and being part of that redemptive process The reconciled uh, to helping the world be reconciled back to God. And that was basically what we talked about last week. And I want to expand on that a little bit this week and understand that in Christ, not only do we find our identity, we also find love's ultimate hope. In the world, people are looking for hope. In this world around us, in North Korea and Iran and China, these other countries around the world, fear takes place and everybody's looking for hope. And the time that we spend overseas, one of the reasons why those communist governments fear Christian missionaries, and not just we who are there, but those who are still there now, one of the reasons why these communist governments fear the church and fear Christian missionaries is because not just because we bring them a message of salvation, but we bring a message of hope. The world is looking for hope. They want to have a hope for the future. They want to be able to have a hope for their kids, to be able to provide an education, to provide a future for them. They want to know that everything is going to be okay. And you're either going to depend on the government or you're going to depend on God for it. And God says, the government will always fail you. Your neighbors will always fail you. Your family will always fail you. But God never fails. He is the one we need to put our hope in. So in this, in Christ, we find love's ultimate hope so that we can participate in God's redemptive activity in this world. That is our purpose. Christ came so that we could join Him in the work of redeeming mankind back to God. Mankind had totally set God aside they tried to follow the rules they did that didn't work they tried to just be good people that didn't work they finally said fine we'll just do whatever we want that didn't work nothing they did could reconcile themselves to God God came as Jesus remember remember, fully God fully man how that works together the 200% man I my finite little pea brain mind does not fully understand it I learned in math you can only have 100% of something And how Jesus could be 100% God and 100% man, did for us what we could not do ourselves. He came and died for mankind to bring our sins on his own shoulders to do for us what we could not do ourselves. And then he invited us, he invited his followers to participate with him in this activity of bringing the rest of mankind along and explain to them about the love of Christ. That is our job. That's all our job is, is to make, go and make disciples. As you live your life, go and make disciples. As you live your life, go and make disciples. Let the Holy Spirit work within you. Let the Holy Spirit work in your kids to draw them into a deeper relationship. And you work on yourself and you begin to explain to people how they can become disciples of Christ. To participate with God in that redemptive activity. In doing so, we get to experience transformation ourselves. And we get to explain this transformation to others. Bringing them from death to life when they were dead in their sins to being alive in Christ moving from darkness to light moving from the darkness of just sin blinding them to the truth to where the light is boom their eyes are opened up and they see and find the truth learn moving from hate to love hate for each mankind hate for one another hate for other people hate for the creation hate for whatever to where all of a sudden now you can when as you embrace Christ, you embrace love. And now I can love anybody. I can love anybody from any background. It doesn't matter what their socioeconomic background is, it doesn't matter what they look like, it doesn't matter if they can grow a beard or they can't grow a beard. It doesn't matter if, what what it looks like or what who you are or where you come from, I can love you now because of Christ. That's when we first looked at going to North Korea, I had some I was in a church. And I had a guy, one of the leaders in that church, come up to me after we got done speaking. And he says, how can you go to North Korea? How can you go to those people? They're our enemies. We hate them. I said, no, we don't. They're our enemies. I said, yes, and one time you were enemy of God as well. And God still loved you. We can go to anybody because of the love of Christ. We don't hate any longer. We love. We're not in darkness any longer. We're in light. We're no longer dead to our sins. We're alive in Christ. Because that with so many others around us. It's exciting. I mean, God in law, no, whoever believes in him will have, will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the exciting message that we take it. That's how we bring ultimate hope into people's lives. So we've come to participate in God's redemptive activity. Secondly, we come to, by participating in the activity, we get to reveal God's glory. We get to reveal the glory of God to the world. Why are we here? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I love that. Why do we exist in this world? Why why are we here? Because we want to glorify God, to glory in God, and enjoy Him. Not with a frowny face, I've got to fulfill and follow these laws. I get to enjoy God forever. I get to enjoy His promise forever. I get to enjoy His presence forever. Realize what a message of hope we bring to this world? What a message of hope that we alone have as believers as followers of Jesus, that we can bring this hope, this message to those around us. God's going to bring people into your path. path. He put them on my car this week. He brings them to me while I'm at King Supers. He's got my neighbors next door. And I get to speak into them, to speak into them about the glory and the hope of Christ. How God, I get to enjoy God forever. And ever and ever. What ways do we get to glorify God? What ways do we get to glory in God? First of all, we get to glory in God in what we say, as we speak. Colossians one twenty eight says this: "So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given to us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. So as we tell others about Christ." We are speaking the glory of God. We get to share with them about the glory of God. We get to explain to them about this wonderful, redemptive act that God did for us. We speak it with our mouth, not keeping silent. But as God gives us opportunities and opportunities and opportunities, you speak into their lives, whether it's to your kids or your parents, your grandparents, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, whoever it is that God brings into your midst. Whatever opportunities He presents to you, you speak the truth of Christ into their lives. Secondly, we reveal the glory of God in how we live every single day. Colossians chapter 3. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3 in your Bibles, if you would. We're going to read several verses here. Paul is writing. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay, they're talking about glorifying God in your life. So this is He makes a list here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality. Impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked. It says, This is the way you lived. This is what you were like when you were not glorifying God. And these things you too once loved, walked when you were living in them. But verse 8 says, But now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and an obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, or Coloradan and Utahan. There is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So in this, we glorify God in the way that we live by denying ourselves our natural desires we deny ourselves from our old lifestyle it says you had this old life that was you before you found christ and now you are a new life that you get to participate with god in becoming this righteous sanctified holy person set apart to the pattern of god and you see the list he gave there of the way that people used to live and maybe you're thinking phew that wasn't me you know, I, didn't have, I didn't struggle with sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry. I didn't struggle with that. But then the second list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, don't lie. Uh, it hits a little closer to home some, for some of us, right? He says, this is the way you once were, but you are now a new creation. This is the old man. This is the old person. This is the new you with Christ. You get to live your life and through your life and through the way you live, you glorify God. God receives glory from the way we live our lives each and every day. With our family, with our co-workers, with those around us. Number three, God gets glory in how we treat one another. You realize that? God gets glory as we treat one another in a holy fashion. He goes on in verse... In uh, verse 12, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen, whole, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, God has a, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As God has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Yeah, I don't always want to be thankful. And verse 16, And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How we treat one another, the way that we behave with one another, the way that we pray for one another, the way that we come alongside each other, that brings glory to God. God takes glory. God takes joy in us. When we treat one another with kindness, with respect, with holy living, with meekness, patience, bearing one another. If you have a complaint, forgiving each other. Saying, you know what? That's okay. I was offended. I can get over it. It's okay. As we look at one another, especially of the children of God, if we are believers and we can come alongside and say, you know what, Mike offended me because he did something, He, he uh, uh, whatever it was. I was going to name something, but I don't know what it is. Mike offended me, so therefore I'm going to be angry at him. The Bible says when, you, when he does something to you, he offends you. Because the way he looks, the way he sounds, the way he says something, he just didn't, you got upset. We forgive. Because why? Because Christ first forgave us. We bear one another's burdens. We come alongside when those who are crying, when those who are hurting, we come alongside and you comfort them, you pray for them, you let them know that we are coming alongside you. You are not alone in your pain. You are not alone in your suffering. You don't have to go through life alone. We as the body of Christ come alongside bearing one another's burdens. How we treat one another shows glory to God. Look at verse 17. I love this verse. It says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do, you are a representative of the Lord Jesus. You are an ambassador for Christ. When we went to North Korea, We could not go there on official capacity into North Korea uh, as a representative of the U.S. government. The U.S. government had absolutely no diplomatic relationship with the government of North Korea. So they came to us one time and they said, thank you so much for going as ambassadors of our country because you're doing for us what we cannot do. We had no diplomatic relationship. So we as missionaries were inside that country somewhat representing our the U.S. because we didn't have an ambassador. We didn't have workers. We didn't have a staff. There was no embassy inside North Korea. As we went, they recognized that we were going as ambassadors. You realize that as as children of God, we are ambassadors of God in this world. We are the ambassadors of God in your community around you. Whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. You know how ambassadors, as they travel, there they're in meetings in different countries, how much they have to control their tongues and not really speak what they want to say? <laughs> you ever listen to somebody who's been in public service or in the government for a long time? They have learned to control this thing right there. They don't say what they really want to say. Parents, there are times when we hold our tongues with our kids. Amen? There are times, even around here, there are things I want to say. I'm, you know, I hold my tongue. There are times I know my wife looks at me and she's just like, pinches her tongue and does not speak what she really wants to say. I see that mind working. I see the eyes doing this because she really is frustrated and wants to speak her mind. And she holds it in and she says, God, give me strength. When you can learn to control this right here, the rest of this is no problem. James talks about it in James chapter 3. We are representative of the Lord Jesus coming alongside with mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, making allowance for each other's faults, allowing people to grow and overlooking some dumb things that we do to one another, forgiving anyone who offends us because the Lord forgave us, we forgive others. We bring glory to God in the way that we live. Lastly, we bring glory to God in our homes. And how did that happen? Nobody sees us. Nobody sees us. Colossians 3.18. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Amen. All men said, we're, keeping a, we're not saying anything. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly, as Christ loved the church, Ephesians says. Love your wives. That's hard for us. Children, we can all say amen to this. Children, obey your parents. Amen? For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children. Or they become discouraged. That's my, my kids' favorite verse. They like to quote that over and over. They have it plastered on their, in, in, in our bathroom. Father, fathers, do not aggravate. Do not exasperate your children. Thank you so much, dear children. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. But if you, have, if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for what is wrong, for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Why does, why does Paul lay out this really long passage for slaves or those who are working for somebody else? There are more employees in this world. There are more, more people working for others than there are bosses. We have a responsibility if we work for somebody else to be a good worker, to be a good employee. We're not slaves, though you may feel like a slave. You get to work for 40 hours, you work for 40, 50 hours a week, and you get paid for 20, right? You work for 40, 50 hours, you get paid for 40 or 50. We are to be good examples in our workplace. And then he doesn't leave bosses beside. He says, masters. In chapter 4, verse 1, masters, be just and fair to your slaves or to your workers. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. He leaves nobody aside. He says we are all responsible and we are to live and glorify God in our home. Husbands, wives, kids, fathers, work, employees, and bosses. We are to all glorify God in our home because that is we get to do that for all of eternity. That is our our purpose. We get to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In every aspect, what we say, how we live, with one another, in our homes, we are to bring glory to God and lift up His name. We expect to do it on Sunday mornings. We expect to come here on Sunday mornings and praise God and sing songs. And God, we're worshiping You. We're glorifying You but it's the other six days of the week. It's the other 167 hours in the week that we're not in this building, we're not in this room, when nobody else is watching but God, when it really counts. We have more time outside of this building than we do here. We have more time outside of the presence of your pastor and the other leadership and those who are watching, though I see you on Facebook, some of you. We have more time away from the prying eyes, but God is always there, God is always watching. what does he say there in chapter four verse one to the masters? remember that you also have a master in heaven. no matter who we are, God is watching. so we're to bring glory to God. you see and when we do that that, that those when we do those four things. That is what the new person looks like. That is what a redeemed person looks like. That is what a follower of Jesus looks like. We are supposed to be honoring God and bringing glory to God in how we speak. We're supposed to be bringing glory and honor to God in how we treat one another. We're supposed to be bringing glory to God and honoring God in the way that we live our lives every single day. That's what a new person looks like. Not out of a sense of guilt. I don't live that way out of a sense of guilt, if I, don't, if I say the wrong thing, God, that God's going to come down and strike me with a lightning bolt. That is not why I live that way. That is not why I, I live my, my life the way I do. I do it out of a sense of devotion and love. Colossians 3, verses 10 and 11 says, Put on your new nature, your new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Christ is all and in all, some translations say. He is all that matters. Period. We may worry about life's difficulties. We may, and Satan always tries to throw up, Things in our lives throughout the week and frustrations and anxieties and worries and fears and those things. God's got your back. He's got it taken care of. He has got you and he is watching you. He is there with us. Why do we worry and allow these things of the world to distract us from doing what God wants us to do and being the kind of new life and living this kind of creation? This past week, I had a conversation with a young man, and he was asking me a political t- question, and basically twisted, I twisted the conversation around to get off of the political and got to the point where basically his question was, can a person, should we be judged for what we did 30, 40 years ago, or said 20, 30, 40 years ago? And I, was, I said, well, do you want to be held accountable for what you did when you were younger, when you were a teenager or college student or in your 20s? And he says, no. So there needs to be allowances for people to make those changes, to have second, third, and fourth chances, because that's what God does with us. When you become a follower of Jesus, you get that, you're a new creation, but we are, no, but we are not yet where God wants us to be. He allows us to make mistakes so we can learn from our mistakes. Yes, I'm to glory, to glorify God in how I speak, but there are times when I speak words that are hurtful to others. I speak words that are untruthful. God doesn't get glory in that. But yet, I recognize that as the Holy Spirit who lives within me notifies my brain, ding, 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 ding. You just said something that you shouldn't have said. That did not bring glory to God. And then I make a change, and God, I go to God and forgive, ask forgiveness, and he allows me a second, third, fourth, 100th chance to change. I'm so glad that God is the God of second, third, and fourth chances, that I'm not held accountable for what I did when in my past because God took away all my sins. He took away all those things I did when I was younger. He threw them away as far as the east is from the west. We're to take this new life into our community here and herald together God's glory. To lift up the name of Jesus and proclaim him as a herald would. How awesome God is. And part of learning about this hope we have in Christ is recognizing that God wants to express real relational love to us. The love he, that God expresses to us not, is not just words. It's not just a letter. But God expresses real relational love toward us. Think of it this way. Romans fifteen seven says, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. He accepts us, even when we fail. He accepts us even when we failed. He doesn't hold it against us. He says, yes, you failed me. He encourages us when we're down. First Thessalonians 5.11 says this, encourage each other and build each other up just as you were already doing. He encourages us when we're frustrated, when we're down, when we're of anxiety about what's going on around us. His Holy Spirit comes alongside, and God comes alongside, and brings encouragement into our life. Sometimes He uses somebody else. Sometimes He'll bring somebody else along. And the, <coughs> excuse me, and they'll say just the right thing that you need to hear. I believe in you. I trust you. And God comes along and brings that encouragement into our lives when we're down, when we're frustrated, when we want to kick ourselves. He brings that encouragement. He uses the body of Christ. He supports us when we struggle. Galatians six two says, "Share in each other's burdens." And in this way, in this way, what? Obey the law of Christ. Share in one another's burdens. We read that earlier in Colossians chapter three. He says, "What's well, one of the ways you know that you are living is that you bring glory to God is when you." bear one another's burdens. You share one another's burdens. And that way God shows his love toward us. We don't have to go through this life alone. We come alongside one another. He comforts us in our pain. 2 Corinthians 3.7 says, The old way, the laws etched in stone, led to death. And though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. See, God comforts us, he comes alongside, and the laws, that the brightness there comforted them in their pain. As, as Moses came out from the presence of God in the temple, as he went into the tabernacle rather, and he came out, his face shone with the glory of God. And whatever pains they were going through, they said, at least we know God is with us. We can see it and on the face of Moses. And then it began to glow, fade away. And the people got worried. So eventually, Moses had to keep his face, keep his head covered. Because as the glow faded away, when he was in the presence of God, the Shekinah glory was all on him. But as the glow faded away, the people of Israel were like, oh, Is God leaving us? No, he wasn't leaving them. It was just the glow that was on Molly fading away. So Moses had to hide his face from them. But in their pain, they were encouraged. He delivers us in times of trouble and he rejoices over us with singing. Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Zephaniah is an awesome book. Some of those, old t- those minor prophets that we like to avoid in the Old Testament. Yeah, I can read Daniel. I can read Judges. I can even read the, the, f- the first five books of you know, the law. But I get to some of those minor, you ever gotten to some of those minor prophets and you're like, what is really going on there? There is some great stuff in the minor prophets. A couple of years back, I was, I was reading through the Bible. Every year, before I, every year before I start reading, I always pray, I say, God, what do you want me to focus on this year? And I remember one year God says He'd let me know. So I want you to focus on the minor prophets this year. I'm like, really, God? The minor prophets? Okay. Habakkuk, Haggai, Malachi, the Italian prophet, uh, Nahum, uh, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah. Second year came. Next year came around. Say, so okay, God, that was a good time in the minor prophets this year. What do you want me to focus on this year? He said, I want you to focus on the minor prophets. Really, God? Didn't I just do that last year? Don't you think I learned enough? He said, I don't know. Did you? Okay, I'm back in the Minor Prophets. <laughs> and I learned so much. And there's so much riches. And I really began to enjoy reading those Minor Prophet books. I loved going through them and seeing the hand of God work and seeing how, in Zephaniah especially, how they rejoiced over God and what he was doing in their hearts and their minds and their lives. See, God delivers us in times of trouble. He rejoices over us with singing. That relational love of God, as we begin to experience the real hand of God working in our lives, we can overcome any difficulty around us. As we begin to experience and embrace the love of God in our lives, whatever you're going through right now can be gone through, gotten through. Because God is with us. He has not abandoned you. This world around us, Satan wants to discourage us, but know this, God accepts you. God wants to encourage you. He wants to support you. He wants to come along and comfort you. He wants to deliver you. He rejoices over you. That is the love of God every single day that we can feel. as we think about this hope and we go back to our purpose and in Christ we find God's ultimate hope. We've learned about the love of God. We've learned about how we we are called to glorify God in our daily lives. To bring hope to those around us. Scripture also reminds us to praise God and remember where what He's done for us. Psalm one hundred three. Leave us with this. Psalm one hundred three, verse one says, "My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all of His benefits. All those things that God has done for us, we do not should not forget. He forgives us." He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. We praise God for what he's done. We praise God to remember what he's done for us and has done through us to impact this world as we join him in his redemptive acts of helping change the world around us. Remember this, our identity is found in him. Our identity is found in God's love for us. Our identity is found in God's desire for us to be more Christ-like. Our identity is found in our mission to share in his glory, But as transforming love in this world, our identity is not found in my degrees in college. My identity is not found in my family. My identity is not found in my job. My identity is not found in my health. My identity is not found in my church, or the size of my church, or the largeness of my church. My identity is not found in my bank account. My identity is not found in anything in this world. My identity is only found in Christ. And what he, how he wants us to participate with him in reaching this world.